And I think the reason for that is product managers say no to a lot of people. And we have to because it's like you can only do so much, right? We have only limited resources uh, in terms of time, in terms of money, in terms of, I don't know, engineering or marketing people, right? Like human resources and uh, material resources. So we have to make sure we are prioritizing the right things. And that means most of the ideas will have to wait. And we generate ideas faster than we can build them. So it's only natural that we say no. And it's okay that, you know, uh, product managers are perceived that way. But that also goes back to your experience and how you manage your stakeholders and don't alienate them. So I, I found that it's very, very helpful to spend just a little time, maybe 10, 15 minutes, to really explain people what you are working on and why you are working on that. And once you reason with them, people get on board and you completely eliminate that alienation feeling. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your brand new podcast called In Your Shoes. This podcast is for you to learn more about new people and professions from around the world. I would like to take you on a journey to understand the life and times of a new person every two weeks and get a chance to get into their shoes to learn what they do, why they do, and how they do it. Baran is an accomplished product leader with a broad range of experiences in real-time systems, pricing, and web user experience. He has led teams in the US, Turkey, and Germany to successfully launch and improve various high-visibility products at both established large enterprises and evolving startups. I'm so glad he's the guest today on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Baran. Hi, Vivek. So, Baran, for our podcast listeners, could you kindly share a little bit about yourself, like where you come from and what you do for a living? Yeah, man. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Baran Oskan. I'm originally from Turkey. And I have lived in uh, multiple countries. And currently, I'm living in Vilnius, Lithuania, working as a senior product manager for TransferGo. And for someone who does not understand uh, this domain or field, how would you describe your profession as a senior product manager? Yeah, th- this is really challenging, actually, because my mom, even my mom doesn't really know what I'm doing at work. You know, it's like there are a lot of abstract parts to it. but Um, maybe like, let me get started with value innovation. So at the very essence of it, um, we are trying to, a product manager always tries to come up with high value and like high value, low cost, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. always a balance to it right? and maximizing this value for customers and the company and delivering these to build these win-win scenarios basically like things products for no i think yeah like it's basically their main job is to drive value and when they are doing it they don't have much authority in the organization so they have to build consensus do a lot of stakeholder management build buy-in right bring people around this one single goal that they believe with data and, you know, anecdotal evidence that will deliver value for the customers and the company. So I I would say, yeah, their main job is to 
relentlessly be focusing on execution for high value products. Okay. And Baran, when you say products, what kind of products would that be? So I only have experience with software products. And when you think about the life cycle of a product, right? First, like you have the ideation, you know about a problem, you validate that problem, then you I'm fast forwarding into solution space, and then you have a product, then you have to come up with marketing, the launch, the pricing, all the downstream details like support, etc. So all those pieces have to come together. And for a software product, um, that can be Spotify, right? Facebook, Viber, Tinder, Skype, those are all software products. And behind each of those, maybe they didn't have the official t- title, but there was a product manager designing those products, uh, you know, validating the data, identifying the market demand, defining the monetization model and whatnot. Thank you. And I also remember you mentioning something called value. So creation of value. So what does a value mean in a product space? Yeah, it's, yeah, that's a good question. So I think value is more than money, right? Like you can create value by saving people time that you can build value for your company because it's strategically aligned and it will actually enable another product. So you can drive value by driving engagement, for example, purely, and it will indirectly lead to revenue. So I think value is a very broad statement that aligns with uh, whatever helps the customer and the company. I see. So why don't we just take an example? Um, Do you have any product that you're familiar with and we can just figure out what value would be for this product? Yeah, I think um, I will take TransferGo, my current company. So the business is, at its core, is remittance. And we are actually currently working on some diversification of products, which we will be launching in the upcoming months. But our core business is remittance. So with remittance, it's basically, we are focusing on migrants living in, you know, uh, mainly in Europe and sending money to India, to Turkey, to Russia, to Ukraine. And it's it, in its core, money transfer. Okay, so in a domain of money transfer and the organization TransferGo, would the value be for the user to be able to simplify, have a simplified way of transferring the money back to their uh, home or the place that they come from? Yeah, uh, there are a lot of drivers for the value. For example, being able to send it is a uh, huge capability in it, in the first place, but there are a lot of players being able to do that. So uh, some of the differentiators we can think of is time to, you know, time to send. How long does it take to send it? And also how long does it take to withdraw it? Because maybe the settlements take too long on the uh, recipient side. And then you need to uh, think through your partnership. So are you partnering up with the right banks, let's say in India, and do they hold it, hold the money for one, two days instead of 30 minutes? So all those questions have to be 
higher on that. And another thing is the fee, right? So how much does it cost to send the money, the basic fee? And on top, what is the exchange rate? Because you are not sending euro to euro. You are sending to uh, euro to Hrvnia, to rubles, to rupees, to Turkish lira, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Okay, so we, to understand value, we should also think about the drivers, as you said. Yeah. Okay, that is quite interesting. So, Baran, having now you explained us what you do, uh, what made you choose this line of work of product management? Actually, product management chose me. So, my education is i i'm i did my bachelor's in industrial engineering then i got a master's in engineering management and my concentration was lean six sigma in manufacturing and also machine learning so the machine learning part was something i really enjoyed and after graduation i was in the us that's where i got my master's and as an immigrant it was really difficult very very challenging to get a job as a you know new grad and even if I like cleared some interviews, the moment they asked if I need a sponsorship and I said, yes, I was out. So my plan B was to get into, you know, software development because there's a lot of demand. So I moved to California to get a, you know, training in software development, business analysis, requirements engineering, quality assurance, and what have you. And after graduating that bootcamp, I got a job in Florida and I started working as a business analyst. So one thing led to another, and I was very lucky with the people I got to work with. I had like really amazing people giving me a lot of opportunities to get involved in challenging projects. So I really appreciate the trust they put in me. And one thing led to another, so I was basically doing everything. I was doing program management, data analytics, business intelligence. I was crunching some numbers of a SQL database, but I was in a board meeting making notes for the COO, right? So I think the, I, I built a lot of skills in terms of seeing things holistically and driving value and bringing people on board. And eventually that led to me becoming a product manager in the same organization. And then from then on, I just kept on moving up in product management. Okay, so you like a jack of all trades and, <laughs> and and master of none. <laughs> but that helped you to really have this broad understanding of different yeah. aspects. Hmm. That is fantastic. Yeah, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun because you never get bored. You get exposure to a lot of different departments and projects. And the experience really helps in terms of providing your input because that's when you feel like you are adding value to the organization and to the customer's lives. Right. So this actually triggers me to really ask you this question. Like your experience moving from engineering to business analysis and then this taking this hooray of different type of uh, roles and then moving to now as a product manager. What would be the skills that you think um, made you uh, successful and also be able to pick up what it takes to become a product manager in your current role? 
Mm-hmm. I think I will respond in twofold. So the like the first phase and the second phase of my career. First phase is until I became a product manager. So what made the leaders of my organization recognize me to become a product manager? Um, I think I'm based on the feedback I received. I'm really good at multitasking and time management and prioritizing uh, my tasks. So I was able to deliver, like my throughput was really high. You know, I would get it done and I would get it done with the right quality. I wouldn't overkill it. If if you need 80% quality, I would deliver 80% quality, but really fast. So I think that helped a lot to also expose myself to different high impact projects in a large enterprise, which helps you get recognized, right? And for the second part, and I want to preface this because this doesn't work in every country or every company, right? It really depends on the culture you are operating in. And it's very important to understand those. And I learned that by making very big mistakes. But now I know what I did. So I'm like always cautious of these. So the second stage is being able to build consensus, but also balancing it with the right speed of execution. So for example, you shouldn't spend one month just having meetings of 20, 30 people just to decide on what color of button we should implement, right? So so like there are ways to overcome that in a speedy way. So I think it's very important to understand the environment you are operating in. But coming back to your question, I think the second phase, how I grew as a product manager was improving my skills on how I balance speed versus consensus because you don't want to alienate your stakeholders. You are dependent on them for your success. And that goes back to product managers not having any authority, right? So you need to motivate people and get them to work towards that goal that you are defining as a leader. Right. That's brilliant. So, Baran, you mentioned about the two skills, two different quality of skills. One was about time management and prioritization. And the other is basically the managing the speed of execution. For the first one, how what were the learnings that you had, uh, especially with regards to time management and prioritization uh, that made that you learned over your experiences? And I think this will be something very, very interesting for our listeners to understand. I think for prioritization, and I wasn't perfect at it from the beginning, right? I think you get better over time by doing it over and over again, and you make mistakes, and you learn from it, and you do it better next time. But I think prioritization is like looking at the metrics right there is a qualitative and quantitative side of things so and you don't always have the data right sometimes you just have to trust your gut feeling and make a decision so i think that part will grow with experience but the qualitative side uh, quantitative side you can always start from the very beginning right you just like think about the impact so what drives the value and I'm going back to my initial point of drivers of value. Yeah. So what is really helping drive the value for the customer, for the user, for your company, or 
for your OKRs, for the KPIs of your department. So identifying those and really drilling down, getting deep into the granular uh, data points, that, that can help you prioritize. So basically having a deep understanding of the performance indicators and the, uh, and the goals of your organization. And that would help you become better at figuring out what's the first thing and the most important thing to be done. Yeah, and if we also like, if we can also look at it from a higher level, right? Then uh, I don't remember the name. Maybe you do. So there is this chart like urgency versus importance, right? Do you remember what it's called? I don't remember the name of it, but I remember exactly what you're referring to—the chart, the four quadrants. Yeah. So that's also something. It's very helpful. Like just put a chart on your workspace. It's like four squares in a quadrant. And then whenever a new task is coming in, just like put it somewhere. It has to go somewhere. Like it's either urgent, but not important or not urgent and important. And, you know, the other two. So that will also help you prioritize because then that really draws a very clear picture. What's your highest priority and what isn't. So I wanted to see what you have to say on a on an observation and something that I picked up about this topic. So long back, I was reading about Marisa Mayer when she had joined Yahoo uh, from Google. And I think she mentioned that you, she never feels bad being able to complete all things in the checklist, which is impossible. And at any point in time, there will be only few things you can do. So her checklists and things to be done is always growing, but she doesn't kind of repent or feel sad about it, that she's not able to address everything. How do you see from the point of view of prioritization and the need to complete everything on your checklist? I think there's a different dimension to tasks, right? So one attribute is the priority, then if you drill down urgency and importance, but another attribute can be relevance because it's a time-bound attribute, right? So the relevance might deteriorate over time and then you won't have to care about it anymore. Right. And if you classify it in a correct way and you only do the high importance, high urgency things first, and then you cannot control time. So over time, you will have to revisit the attributes of these tasks. And some of them will not be relevant anymore, maybe because, I don't know, uh, some other department released something that solved your problem or maybe a competitor just, uh, you know, released it already. So your uh, market share will not be as big as you projected initially, and then it's not going to justify the cost of developing this, right? And I'm a huge fan of Marissa Mayer, by the way, like testing 40 shades of blue buttons is yeah, something <laughs> amazing. Okay, thank you, Burun, for your comment on that. Uh, I want to also now reflect on the second as or second group of skills that you talked about, which was the speed of execution and balancing it with consensus. So what are your learnings about this particular skill? Yeah. So I think one of my biggest failures uh, was in Germany. And I had this really big project. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of I, no, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of, but I think I can work very easily in an American work culture. 
like execution orientation is like something really I'm fond of. And I'm not saying all companies in Germany execute the same way, but I think there was a need for a higher level of consensus. So we would need to get sign-offs from, I don't know, 10 different department heads, right? And that really slowed us down because everyone is busy. We should be busy. It's work. So get, getting building the consensus around it and trying to get the opinions over data was blocking me a lot. So in the end, what I ended up doing was I just kept moving, you know, in, uh, for the sake of execution because I didn't want to run behind on my roadmap. But what happened was I started alienating my stakeholders over time because they felt like I wasn't listening to their opinions. And the biggest mistake I made was I didn't spend, invest enough time to explain the decisions that were made and show the data, right? So it's like data over opinions. If both of us have opinions, it's my opinion. I think, was it Reid Hoffman? I don't know, someone prominent. Doesn't matter. Yeah, so... I think like balancing execution goes back to your emotional intelligence, right? Being able to invest enough time with your people. So it's like materials over people almost. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I totally see your point. And I think it's a very hard balance to arrive at. And I think this is one of the things that creates an interesting friction for someone like you. And I I think it's a very important challenge for this role as well. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Baran, for sharing a personal story and experience. This is really valuable. Okay. What I'm basically now moving on with the discussion here is to figure out what is your typical day? And if you have a typical day, uh, looks like um, in your current role. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a person who enjoys rituals. So when I first start my day, I have a folder on my Chrome browser. It's called Daily KPIs. And I have another browser uh, folder called Weekly KPIs. So Daily KPIs, I just... You know, right click, open all, and we, I have like 10 different tabs on Tableau and Google Analytics and other, uh, you know, analytics tooling. So I just look at the data and how things have been evolving since yesterday. And I also read some, you know, um, some medium like Financial Times. I'm a, I am subscribe to QZ.com, so they curate uh, different articles. If like whatever you're interested in, I look at some news and I catch up with my emails from yesterday. If I missed anything, you know, since 6 p.m. to 9 a.m. And the rest of the day is usually, you know, attending to some backlog stuff on Jira and, you know, like talking to my team, having a stand up. And then I attend to upcoming projects and some like mostly it's stakeholder management. I would say 60 50 60 percent of my day is stakeholder management but some part of that stakeholder management is also in alignment with requirements gathering and sign-offs so it's like merging with consensus building right 
Okay, thank you for sharing your day <laughs> with us. And uh, I want to take a detour from here, just in the light of COVID-19, and want to check if COVID-19 and this whole crisis has affected your working day in any manner or not. I think I was one of the lucky ones. So I started my current position two months ago and I moved to Lithuania from Germany right before lockdown. It was like two, three days before lockdown. I moved, I just took the flight, landed, and two, three days later, they said borders are shut down. Wow. Yeah, I would have been locked down in Berlin for two, two and a half months, I guess, already. Yeah, two and a half months. So I was very lucky that I came here a little earlier. And I think, yeah, I, I've been also lucky because the business of TransferGo has been growing during COVID-19 because, you know, like when people are locked down, they prefer digital over uh, actual like money that you go through the bank, right? You deposit it, you send it in person. So it also helped with the user numbers and number of transactions. And yeah, I think I've been on the lucky side of things, but I know many people have been impacted some lost their jobs so yeah okay thanks for sharing that so baran i wa i have an interesting one for you now uh so every job and profession has its own stereotypes like perceptions from outside which are sometimes right but also sometimes not correct so from your viewpoint and your experience what do you think are those perceptions and stereotypes for this profession? Mm -hmm. I think I have two for you. Uh, first one is, uh, so whenever I meet someone, right, and they kind of know what product management is, they are like, oh, oh, wow, like product managers are so busy, right? Like how long do you work? And it is, I think, true, but it really depends on the person. I think product managers should be very busy because building this T-shaped knowledge, right, wide and deep, yeah. is not going to be easy. Right. And my second one is um, product managers are the assholes of the organization. <laughs> so, and I think the reason for that is product managers say no to a lot of people. And we have to because... It's like you can only do so much, right? We have only limited resources uh, in terms of time, in terms of money, in terms of, I don't know, engineering or marketing people, right? Like human resources and uh, material resources. So we have to make sure we are prioritizing the right things. And that means most of the ideas will have to wait. And we generate ideas faster than we can build them. So it's only natural that we say no. And it's okay that you know uh, product managers are perceived that way, but that also goes back to your experience and how you manage your stakeholders and don't alienate them. So I, I found that it's very, very helpful to spend just a little time, maybe 10, 15 minutes, to really explain people what you are working on and why you are working on that. And once you reason with them, people get on board and you completely eliminate that alienation feeling. Right. So I think it builds on the skills that you mentioned. One is this about ruthless prioritization and also 
taking everybody along in the form of consensus. So explaining them why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I really want to emphasize, it really doesn't take much. It looks like a lot of work, you know, trying to convince 20 people, but it really doesn't. Like once you get the gist of it and how to do it and you start excelling at it, then it's really, really easy because people want to work with you. They don't want to work against you. That's tiring for them, right? That's true. They want to be with you and they just want to be convinced. So you just got to give them a reason and that's all. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Baran. So Baran, with all that narration of your experiences and I think wonderful journey that you shared with us, if there are listeners who would like to pursue this profession and uh, want to know, like, what does it take to be in that profession? So what would be your advice to them, especially like what kind of experiences that they should have? Where should they start? I think, I mean, my experience is a little different, right? I grew up into this position organically, but I know there are now product management schools. So that's also an option. But if you're interested in growing organically, which is the only way I can share, um, I would suggest, you know, like try to take ownership and jump on projects. So don't be afraid of doing something out of your comfort zone because people who are doing those are also, you know, human beings. So you can do it. It's not uh, rocket science. We are just building software. So I would say like take ownership and make sure you make it transparent to your leadership that you are interested in. Uh, taking ownership of different projects, getting exposure, challenging yourself. And what I found is people mostly appreciate that unless there is someone who is trying to block you, which is rather unlikely. I think you will get that exposure. Right. And is there like a set of books or articles, blogs or podcasts that you recommend uh, people who are getting into this profession for the first time? Maybe not specifically for product management, but I really enjoy getting the perspective of founders and what they went through because I also tried my own company and I, sh- I shut it down after one and a half years. And what you find is there's also a lot of emotional investment and it's not just like two guys sitting and coding at night, right? There is a lot of things going on with legal, with bureaucracy. We have to do your taxes. You need to find an accountant. You need to make sure you are not violating any trademarks. You know, like hiring is a huge challenge on in itself. So I think it gives you a lot of perspective in holistic thinking to listen to the founders. So my favorite one, favorite podcast is called Fissos. Um, it's been discontinued. So uh, it was Wilson and Elton, I think, two Harvard MBA students. And now they went on with their own career. So they discontinued the podcast. But I really like that. And for reading, I would suggest like keeping up with the articles and books of Marty Kagan. I really like how he structures his thoughts because it brings a lot of clarity. And some of the things, like you should reread it after some time because once you get experience, you it will resonate with you in a different way. Right. That is actually really deep because it's not about just going over and completing a book, 
but also now reflecting and seeing and rereading it so that you can absorb and apply in your day-to-day life. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Thank you, Baran. I think this conversation is so enlightening for me. And uh, Baran, for people who are listening to this podcast, if they want to reach out to you for further questions or to seek advice, what would be the right channel for them to do so? LinkedIn. Okay. So you accept uh, messages on LinkedIn from anyone, correct? Yes. Okay. So I can share your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And I hope uh, people who will be listening to it uh, reach out to you and they get motivated with your journey and with your stories. So thank you so much, Paran, for joining the show today. And I am hoping that we get into further conversations where we can go into deeper aspects of this role and the challenges at some point in time. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for joining this podcast. I hope this was useful and you learned a lot. For more such great podcasts, please do not forget to subscribe to the podcast channel In Your Shoes on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Music. New podcasts uploaded every two weeks. Goodbye.